Hello and welcome to What Are You Laughing At? The occasionally regular podcast devoted to all matters of British comedy. My name's Dave Cohen and joining me today are two men who share so much knowledge between them about what makes a great sitcom, I'm not sure this room is big enough to contain the two of them. Podcast regular James Carey has written dozens of episodes of some of the best radio shows including Hut 33 and Think the Unthinkable. And our special guest is a writer and script editor who Graham Linehan says he wishes came as an app. And uh, Doug Naylor, that's Mr Red Dwarf to you, says he's yet to meet anyone who writes better, more incisive script notes and he has no bigger fan. So, who likes you more? Linehan, Naylor, Linehan, Naylor? Only one way to sort it out. Fight over Andrew Ellar. Hello. Hi, Andrew. Thanks. Uh, lovely to have you with us. And uh, overseeing, as always, the inscrutable in the corner with a box set of a lower low and a, a cattle prod he's not afraid to use in the event of any split infinitives, Aaron Brown. Hello. He speaks. Sorry. He speaks. Oh, wow. He does, yes. Occasionally. Occasionally. So we'll start with a little bit of news, I think. And uh, suddenly, um, suddenly everyone's making sitcoms, aren't they? Well, there's a thing. Uh, when we started doing these podcasts uh, about a year ago, I remember... James would uh, sit in one corner, tearing his hair out as I reel off a, another list of 15 new panel shows that were, were being commissioned. And uh, I suppose down to Sky, isn't it? Sky have changed, um, you know, they've changed the rules, They are the rules, spending they? a lot of money on comedy, mm. which is great. I, w- I worry that, that, that the tap will get turned off at some point, but... Um... Well, that's that's what they did last time, wasn't it, With when they took um, Time Gentleman Please and the Badil uh, Syndrome about ten years ago, mm. and, you know, they didn't, because they didn't get a hit, they turned the tap off, and this time around they've said specifically that that's exactly what they won't be doing. But I think my, my, my problem, my, my worry would be that it is not to them how much money they get to spend, it's someone three, four, five levels of management up who decides, well, why don't we just rerun House? That gets almost the same number of viewers. And yeah. suddenly a £400 million budget goes down to £30 million. And it's, it's sort of not, you know, I, I really hope that doesn't happen, but with Sky, I'm never quite sure that that won't because it, it really is about market forces. Mm. And that is, unfortunately, the, um, the capricious nature of the market. Yeah, but one of the market forces is they, they've obviously, you know, they, they, they've got the BBC in their sights, haven't they? And Absolutely. They, I guess they want to eventually... Um, they've got their eye on the BBC when it does eventually get uh, mm. privatised. I'm sure it's it's uh, when now, isn't it? Not if. So um, I don't know. Who oh, um, you just want you want to cry now. That's, <laughs> Sorry, that's deeply upsetting, don't say. It is, isn't it? But you know. Okay, but you know. But, but I mean, as as you know, I mean, Dave are spending new money. On yeah, UK TV have got. Um, I've got. Well, we've got our Red Dwarf coming, but you've uh, they've just picked up. Um, yes, yes, Prime Minister. As well, yeah, which is, yeah, and it's sorry, I've stolen your no, news, no, no, haven't that's I? Fine. No, but no. but there is there is something to be said for for picking up those kind of uh, I hate using the word brands, but picking up those. Uh, existing, uh, oh, sorry, the uh, brand uh, class uh, has uh, just uh, gone uh, off. Uh, oh dear. Uh, is, well, it's lovely to have you on the show. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> franchises? Oh God, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah, no okay. right. Yeah. But those those existing comedy names that you stand a good chance of drawing people in with to your channel. That one of the hardest things. I mean, I, I, um, I came up under, amongst other things, Paul Jackson at ITV. When Paul Jackson was at ITV, I was a script consultant for them, and trying to get comedy on there at that time. I mean, it was it, it was a force of will, I think, to kind of to make slots for things where 
people had kind of gone off the idea that you would even turn ITV on for a comedy show, and the idea that you would you would accidentally or deliberately land there. It's first you've got to create people's understanding that they will go to a slot for comedy, and then you. And I think things like Red Dwarf and things like Yes Prime Minister, it it makes you go, oh, okay, so they do this kind of thing, and then eventually you can start going right, and now we'll do something with a brand new name, with a brand new. I mean, they're all going to want pedigree for a while, but mm. but, comedy, but Comedy Central have done uh, Threesome, which is not a show mm. to my taste at all, but is a perfectly decent show with some with some good comedy names who aren't you know household names necessarily. So you know, it's, it feels like it isn't yeah. BBC isn't the only game well, in town, which is also good for the BBC. Yeah, well, the 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 actual show that I was going to lead with, uh, you mentioned uh, Yes Prime Minister. I'm so sorry. About. No, it's fine. Absolutely fine. Um, it's not it's, fine. Um, it's not fine. I can tell you seething. It's furious. There's, there's anger and rage uh, invisible to the microphone. Yes. People who know me know that I am a seething fan of rage. I've seen the tweets. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but the one I was going to mention first, what was uh, this uh, Jason Manford uh, sitcom that's being piloted for ITV? Mm. Um, I, no fault of Paul Jackson. I have to say, Paul Jackson was was tr- was brought in by uh, ITV specifically to get comedy onto the uh, onto their um, screens, and of course. Um, the sort of the Simon Cowell factor, and it was very difficult to get any comedy made at all at, at ITV at the time. But um, uh, yes, Jason Manford, he's going to be in a show called uh, Naked House. He and his wife fall on hard times uh, and are forced to move back in with uh, his newly retired parents. Um, and and if that wasn't bad enough for a struggling family unit, the grandparents have just taken up naturism. Okay, so it's um, two premises there for uh, the price of one. And this is uh, this is a pilot, right? This is this is a yeah. pilot. Yeah. Uh, I presume either Armstrong or Miller will be playing one of the naked people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Slice of They're not old enough, unfortunately, but that does sound well, similar to a premise. Would pass it. I mean, the, the, the worry is, and there's there's nothing new under the sun, obviously, but. Uh, but Sky have just commissioned a show not dissimilar from that with Sally Phillips. Called Parents, called yes. Parents. Another sitcom. Yeah. Um, hey, you know, uh, but last year, right? You, you, why, why not? You know, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, yeah, this time last year we're saying, oh, and uh, BBC One have commissioned a new panel game that's about uh, adverts, oh, which will go against the Channel 4 uh, <laughs> panel show that's not about. British adverts, it's about Irish adverts. Oh, so, uh, yeah, so it's two very different. When, when they write the comedy book on the era and the austerity sitcom is a subgenre all of its own. <laughs> Actually, it's worth pointing out ITV did, um, while I was there, did Teenage Kicks, which yeah. is also about a dad moving in with his uh, with his daughter and his yeah. Yeah. her two student friends. I thought Benidorm had finished and I think mm. he's done one more series. And that yeah, is pretty much the only standard yeah. comedy on the show, yeah. on the yeah. networks. Yeah. They, yeah. they do need more, which is great. Yeah. And that's what... Yeah. It's ex- I mean, I think a couple of decent sitcoms could have seen ITV mm. in some really hard years, um, yeah. but they didn't invest in them. And, mm. you know, it was actually a couple of... Si- it was it was pretty much uh, Little Britain, which I know is in the sitcom, but also Two Pints that pretty much made BBC Three survive. Mm. Yeah, they, that was a, such a big show for BBC Three. Mm. And actually, the, the power of one or two big comedies, especially if they're a sitcom, makes, actually can make a massive difference to a channel. I think people I think, I think they yeah. knew that. And I think, um, you know, Peter Fincham did 
uh, I think Peter Fincher <clears throat> said at the time, you know, that he, he still wanted there to be comedy, but it was just that they had to cut back so massively. I mean, having said, we really, really do want to do comedy and really showing the intent to do it, and then they suddenly found themselves with, you know, sort of having to make massive cutbacks and, right. and knowing that comedy is expensive to make. You know, the, the, the intention has stayed on, you know, so I think that this having sitcoms now is, um, you know, is definitely an attempt to uh, keep up the momentum. And they did actually say, I went to this thing in October where all the ITV and Sky and BBC and Channel 4 all talked about their, their plans. And ITV did say that they they are releasing this slot at the end of the year that was Coronation Street at 7.30 on uh, Thursday night. And they want it to be kind of family type sitcom mm-hmm. so um who knows maybe yeah. that's the one that they're going for with well, i have just appointed a first comedy commissioner for about 18 months i think van we more yes from bbc previous um, little britain producer yes yes that's right yeah um home again by the way another another so was it called home again it was home again sitcom? yeah peter egan, egan yeah it was by james Teenage daughter moves back in, or, or it's not a competition. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. It's definitely been, you know, it's it's, it's, it's um, that that particular story has, you know, has run and run. So we've got parents coming soon, Sky One, and the Jason Manford pilot to ITV, and as mentioned, yes, Prime Minister. So this. Um, that, that, that's interesting. The, the the brand the branding thing. I hadn't. Um, it's funny. It's uh, no uh, there's yeah, there's no sense. question that uh, I mean not to bang out on about Red Dwarf except that I do like to bang on about Red Dwarf. Oh, is well, that's principally why you're here today. <laughs> my charisma, my natural charm. <laughs> the, uh, so we did we did Back to Earth on. Uh, I say we. I have my little small part to play in it. But we did Back to Earth for for Dave in 2009 which is actually a longer time ago than i think you'd ideally like for a new series to come along but i think dave's average audience is something like 400,000 people and there's something like 2.7 million tuning into to a brand new episode of red dwarf on the channel now obviously you can you know you sort of start to imagine yeah and what if that had been on bbc2 and but it is an extraordinary bump to the to their numbers, and I can only assume that yes, Prime Minister will do similar things for. It's not that's not going on gold, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it is, it's but, for UK TV. But I guess it is just such a big financial commitment. Yeah. For them, because you know, presumably they're repeating episodes of QI. Oh, compared to for a couple of grand. Yeah. Um, compared to buying yeah. content on tape, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. substantial thing. Yeah. Well, interestingly, it's uh, a BBC comedy production now. Um, I don't know. Aaron certainly doesn't know. Uh, anyone aware? Not a clue how that. Nothing. We're, we're, nothing would surprise me about the BBC. Um, because Bernardi, BBC World, BBC Worldwide seem to be a completely separate entity that put money into things all over the place. It is quite oh. weird to be at um, TV Centre, which I, which I have been to recently since everything's been moving out of there. But you sort of wander around this place that faintly smells of death. Um, that has been that's basically been wound down it's sort of almost like a mausoleum as a comedy uh, and to television but the only things that are being recorded there are ITV and Channel 4 shows and but the BBC shows aren't recorded there because they can't afford the studios and they're all recorded on the on the South Bank so it's just Literally curious on that, the South Bank yeah, yeah, so that, you so you're wondering around and you've got signs up for Harry Hills TV birth or um, 10 o'clock live or, yeah. or shows like that and you just think this is this is extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. 
UKTV, as your notes uh, point out, is a joint venture 50-50 between uh, BBC Worldwide and a US media company called Scripps Network. God, they can't even spell Scripps. The, um, the episodes are 40 minutes long, the Yes Minister uh, episodes, i.e. Uh, uh, 30 minutes <coughs> with ad break. Right, yes, so, right. Um, so I guess we're looking at a uh, sell-through to BBC for the yes. show. Well, also, I, you, we tried, again, just to do the Red Dwarf thing, but we did. We tried to do Back to Earth in the 22-minute slot to call it a half hour, and with something like that show where the storytelling is so dense, trying to cram it into that slot is really is really tough. I can't imagine trying to do Yes, Prime Minister in 22 minutes. It just it feels like you'd just be warming up when yeah. the show finished. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, mind you, you know, it's good enough for Seinfeld. <laughs> well, there is that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Damn we'll you, Seinfeld. We shall talk about Seinfeld, I'm sure, uh, too. Just uh, interestingly, uh, uh, no, no casting yet um, for Yes, Prime Minister. I'd imagine Armstrong and Miller, that's I'd my guess. I'd imagine now, I mean, I'd imagine they're probably adapting some of the stage play. Oh, of the um, that's probably where... Well, it says a setting in a modern setting. Uh, Jim Hacker's a struggling Prime Minister of a coalition government. Yeah. Fighting a Scottish independence referendum and economic meltdown. It's probably heavily based on the stage play. Having not seen it, which was played yeah. by... It was David Haig, wasn't it, I think, as... He's the original hacker, who would be excellent. I mean, yeah, obviously, <coughs> but, I mean, Yes, Prime Minister is pretty much my favourite sitcom of all time in terms of uh, Br- British sitcom. I've got them all on DVD, and I know I'm, who am I to say, but when I watch a lot of sitcoms I genuinely quite like, I'm watching it just going, oh, you could have done that, you could have changed that. I watch Yes, Prime Minister and just think, that's perfect. I have nothing to offer. If they'd offered me a job as a script guy, I would have just sat there in silence week <laughs> after week because it's perfect. It's mm. absolutely perfect. Mm. And it's still funny. Um, it's astonishing, really. You yeah. can watch it now and, you know, and weirdly, although I like to think of it very much, to think of it probably will date um, because it is very much set in a time and a place. In one sense, that's why it's so powerful. But there's that classic quality of Yes Prime Minister. It's just still funny still mm. the same issues just add a naught to all the numbers basically the same yeah or add three noughts i'm really just kind of creatively i'm sort of looking forward to it because i like i like this idea of you know the the different actors but this but the same character names but mm. you, you're not it's not like james bond where you're trying to yeah. imply that it's mm. literally the same continuity mm. or anything like that in the same ways that the the in the loop movie and the thick of it um did the opposite kept the kept the actors but changed to the names mm. right um I, I quite like what that does. It's like a funhouse mirror version of the show or something. It's it's. Well, I think it's it's like you say. It's a sort of continuity. It's amazing to think that whatever. I mean, I I, I think you know, sort of politically, we've sort of we moved away from it, and mm. then we've, we've kind of come back to it. The idea that actually, yes, prime minister will probably be as kind of topical mm. and relevant uh, now as as. Some, Jim Hacker, you know, Paul Eddington was of, of his time, really. What's, what's fascinating is, um, well, at least I thought it was anyway, was the uh, Jonathan Lynn's uh, book about uh, yeah. the rules of comedy, right, which, yeah. is, which is fantastic. Yeah, but yeah. I just think it is one of the best books about comedy I've, I've read. Because he's not only a writer, but a director as well, and he's written some movies. In fact, he's written one of my favourite movies of all time, um, Big Nuns on the Run. I cannot understand why I love that movie more than almost any other. I just do. Um, but You're among friends. He was yeah. safe, I guess. It's a safe place. 
but he was saying how when it came out, it was quite a slow program to get going. And when it came out in the early 80s, they sort of written most of it under Callaghan, mm. under, a, under a, a very, very failing mm. uh, uh, Labour government. And so everyone said how wonderfully fresh and everything it was, and how the jokes were clearly aimed at Margaret Thatcher. And they weren't. They were actually aimed at... Well, the, the pilot was recorded three months before Thatcher was elected. Yeah. But is it also, the other thing I thought was just so brilliant about it, and he, he talks about it in the book, is how he's saying that, you know, the, the politicians are written so cleverly and brilliantly, and the civil servants are written so cleverly and brilliantly, that any, any civil servant who watches it laughs at how silly the politicians are. And the politician who watches it laughs at how silly the civil servants are. And everyone thinks the show is about the yeah. other one. Well, that's, that, that's the great thing about shows like, I mean, something like Till Death Has Do Part, mm. isn't it? Where you, you kind of, you've got a massive audience, you've got half the audience laughing at this person and the, the other half the audience laughing with him don't underestimate the bigot audience <laughs> yes, uh, right. they, no, they, they all count in the end the yeah. ratings still count the ratings yeah. don't yeah they don't they, differentiate there's no moral arbitration that comes no. with those, yes, right. those numbers it's just like 4.5 million people watch this show with irony yeah. <laughs> 5.3 million people watch it because they just yeah. hate black people yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's the problem with it. you don't get that nuance on the, on the ratings no, um, that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, Johnny Spate used to say he, you know, he despaired of it. He, he was uh, the, the, the more he tried to make Alf Garner a horrible character, the more people loved him for it. So, you know, there's a lesson. Well, that's it. A show, a show or a character does mm. take on a life of their own, mm. and it's very hard once other people mm. feel they have an ownership. I'm sure, actually, you probably had this with with Red Dwarf. Is the buy-in on that show is so high? Everyone who Anyone who's even half a fan is actually a huge fan, and therefore what you do with the characters is like, no, 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 you can't do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge pressure. It must be extraordinary. I, I honestly, I, I, I can't imagine how much it is to deal with with that. I, every move is scrutinised, every moment you do, everything that you do, um, and the, the amount of debate that will begin over would a character have done this, and they've taken, there's a, a, you know, a strong and, and interested fan base, and creatively interested as well, who, who will put their critical faculties to use on that show so stringently and so and you start looking back and going, did we miss that? Did we make it? Did, would, I don't know, would that have done? There's things like I mean, I always feel we've got we've had things in the past in the show in episodes that I've not been involved. Where Lister gets kind of very morose about a thing that's happened to him, like his arm gets amputated, or you know. And the thing is, in early, in early series, there's there's an argument that Lister was somebody who, when faced with death, said he was going to rip its nipples off. That mm. that was the th- and and so he was the guy who picks up a pipe and says, "You can try and get me, but you won't." Mm. So to watch him wandering around and being morose, I always thought was kind of out of kilter with the character we'd set up. And similarly, we did um, back to Earth. Rimmer Rimmer <laughs> pushes the villainess under a moving vehicle, and it's felt no, no, no. Rimmer's a bastard, but is Rimmer a murderer? And I have a whole string of reasons why I think that sequence is entirely earned and justified. Not the least of which was. She was a hologram already, so she was dead already. So this was just re-killing her. Um, and she uses that those exact lines. She justifies her own death seconds before we do it to justify killing Rimmer. So there is a and there is a kill or be killed thing. And I think murder in self-defense becomes something a little more wobbly. But Rimmer's never valued the lives of anybody else anyway. He's o- his only his his only problem has been 
cowardice. It's not psycho. He's he's relatively yeah, he's psychotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd shoot you in the back. He'd just worry about getting caught. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not morality that prevents him from pulling a trigger on people. Yeah, yeah. This is this is my feeling. But yeah, I'm curious to know how much input, if any, comes from the fans because there is such a kind of. Uh, I I th- Doug Doug I think has has learnt to sort of write in a vacuum because actually, as it turns out, when you try to play into fan expectations. Well, not actually, no, it's, it's worth being aware of the expectations, but when you p- play into kind of a checklist of what the fans want, they don't necessarily want what's good for the show, they want what they want to see. And there's a there's a difference between those. It's, it's the, um, Buffy had this problem all the time, where it was, where fans would get absolutely irate about characters being killed off, or, you know, bad things happening to them. It's like, bad things don't happen to them, and everyone's happy, and everyone survives. There's not really any show left. You like the pain that we put you through. Um, we all wanted Niles to get together with Daphne. Yeah. But we sort of know that the moment that he did, the that, show that is sort of over. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the show wasn't over, unfortunately, but it, uh, the, the tension had gone. It killed. You give the fans what they want yeah. and they then come back. There, there, is, there is an argument that the, one of the keys to building a show is to create a series of desires and expectations and then never satisfy them. Absolutely. Your job is to procrastinate really expertly and never quite get yeah. there. Um, yeah, it's interesting with that to, to bring that up because that, that 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 is a kind of example where I think as a writer you kind of have you're torn between not just what, what the fans think, but as a writer you think, God, how many more situations can we create that don't look artificial where we have Niles and Daphne together and yet they're not together, and and it's sort of it just kind of obviously six series in or whatever it was they just thought we've got to get yeah, it together. nine yeah nine or ten yeah. series was it, really? it was I mean, that's it the was. thing as a writer you think oh I, I can't believe i'm going to have to play this trick again um surely the audience are tired of it but then as a viewer you're thinking you're, you're watching it and you go back for the same thing you know, it's very t- it's harder on the writer to keep writing the same thing than it is on the audience to keep yeah, watching they're very, the same thing. They're very happy. Well, this is what I tuned in for. Yes, I, I liked it when you did it the first three times, yeah. and for the as long as you're not literally just tap dancing the same three beat, you know, the same thing over and over. I, mean, I had this, I had this a, li- a little bit as a viewer. I'm a massive fan of House, which is just hmm. amazing. I just started watching Series Eight, and Series Eight sort of starts a little bit weirdly, and I won't sort of spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but. There was a bit where some of the regular characters just sort of weren't there, and I was sort of just thinking, no, I want the regular characters. I don't, I don't want this. I know you're being clever, and it's all different, and it's interesting, but <laughs> where's Taub? Yeah. I like Taub. Yeah. You know, where's Chase? Yeah. Well, Bring him back. Yeah. And you know, so they sort of get there in the end, I think. But um, but it is interesting. You sort of forget when you put your writer hat on. Sometimes you're thinking. Um, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to do this or to do and, and as a viewer, you just think, well, whenever a show does that, I tend to not want to watch yeah. it. So uh, you've got to be careful. This, this does sort of lead to actually talking to you a bit about um, the IT crowd, the mm. crowd, however you wish to pronounce it, and that um, Graham Linham did recently announce that there wouldn't be uh, a series five, despite getting a team of writers. Mm. And you you mentioned you you think you know what what. What were Graham's sort of feelings about this? You've been it's, working with him, weren't you? Yeah, it's it's a funny old thing. That was oh, I think we had a, we had a, we had a very nice three months, I think, where and there was a lot of writers on that. The 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 Dawsons were in on that. We had um, the guys from Burniston were in on it. Uh, Madeline Bradingham. The lots of really good, brilliant, funny people coming up with stuff. 
and we I think we all felt we could have we could we were easily generating or we would have generated enough material for a good series. Um, but something about about it, something about the way Graham was feeling about it, just wasn't. And he's in the the happy and enviable position of going, well, if I don't really feel it, feel it, I'm not going to write it. Whereas, you know, most of us are going, just please pay me to write stuff. That would be lovely. That would just any money to write anything, I will. But also to write the IT crowd, it's oh, like, wouldn't you know, want well, it. I it's, think it's a child of a sweet shop, isn't it? To some extent, it's yeah. the, the 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 tools that are there for you. And and we tried writing online actually, which is a, a, a kind of a better idea. We never got all the way to to writing scripts, but the, this kind of mass, this attempt to dump story ideas and then riff on them. But of course, what happens is over three months, you get about a week's work done because when you come into a room with a team of writers. You sit down and somebody says something and somebody sparks off that and sparks off that and sparks off that. And the 15 reactions and the chain reaction that sets off, in half an hour you can have ended up miles away from where you started and with something that's three quarters of the way towards being a brilliant idea for a show. That would take a week and a half online because what would happen is one, somebody, somebody would write it and then five hours later somebody would go, oh, I should check my the thing. And I said, oh, okay, somebody's posted it. Oh, that's not... And then come up with a response... And then three hours later, somebody else would... Co- Everything's just delayed. And so it was... I don't know, part of it was the working method. And part of it, actually, I think was... I'm just talking to Graham not so very long ago. There's, if The show is one of those old-fashioned in another sense, which is that it kind of freezes the characters in aspect. Um, when he first created it, there was this kind of... He, I think he was trying to do a will-they-won't-they they thing with Jen that it turns out he doesn't really have the, the interest or the facility to, to write that kind of stuff. Um, and so the show would have had to have evolved a bit as that relationship changed. But because that relationship doesn't change and none of the other relationships change, and the only change really was the kind of the addition of Douglas. And you can kind of go, uh, the, there's a thing in series two to really get your teeth into and go, oh, you see, now I've got a brand new character dynamic thing that I can play with, I can do that. Without shaking it up once in a while, it gets harder and harder. Again, it's harder on the writer to keep doing the same thing. And the IT crowd kind of thrives on being the same show forever. I think what, um, I, I mean, I, I'm a huge fan of Graham. I love Father Ted, one of my all-time favourite sitcoms, and I love the IT crowd as well. But there is something about the, the, the characters that he comes up. He, he, he obviously talk a little bit about character, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, but with with him, with him, and I've read about how he tends to write a script, which is that he, he comes up with half a dozen visual set pieces, which are always hilarious. And then he kind of builds sitcoms around that. I wish I had that ability, but um, I, I, I don't. But um, you do get a sense with characters. I mean, once you get beyond uh, Ted and Dougal, for instance, and, and you know, you're sort of, your two other characters, whereas uh, all they have to do is say feck or would you like a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, and similarly with the it crowd, not that I'm saying they're, kind of poorly constructed characters but they are they're kind of characters who are they, they really are absolutely pinpoint stuck in that place and it's, as soon as you take them out of the room it's, almost it's it, very it's, hard it's to of, move them they, on they hardly breathe yeah and that, yeah they live in they live in this one in this one aspect and it's ideal it's kind of perfectly built 
but you, you, it's very hard to move them on in any direction. And I think when you're looking for a reason to do a fifth series, for a reason to write it, for a thing that gets you excited, uh, having characters do more of the same is a really tough thing to ask. Um, and also, it, it very much a lot of it does seem that Graham Linehan has cre- with Arthur as well has created almost a flavour of sitcom with Father oh, Ted, yeah. and then with sort of Black Books. And with which is my actually probably my favourite, mm. and also with with the IT crowd. And if it's very personal to you, at the moment you sort of start losing interest in it. It's probably quite hard, you know. And somebody says, "Would you like to come write a stage play of the Lady Killers?" It's just like, "Yes, I would, please." Yeah. And would you like to write a movie? Would you like to see this and that? And you know, this this would be how many series of this this would be his sort of twelfth TV series or something yes. like that. Mm. Um, once you got Abbott, Father Ted's, and Black Books, and and also and Hippies Paris. and Paris. Graham wasn't Graham wasn't hippies, but okay, um, was that was Arthur. But oh, okay. Paris was the. Oh, was that was the, was was hippies not both? Of them? No. Oh, I no, know. It was created by both real, of them, I think. Hippies but... is a real gem, actually. If you go back and watch it at the time, I remember being slightly underwhelmed by it, and then it was being repeated on what was UK Play at one point. And uh, rewatching it and just going, oh, this is funny. This I, is really funny. I have a friend who told me you, you they broadcast who's who's very strongly of the opinion they broadcast them in the wrong order that they took that took the the order that they put them in and that that was wrong. And when I bought the DVD, he gave me a list in which to watch them in the correct <laughs> order that I would be better disposed to the show by the end. That should be an insert in the DVD box. Well, yeah. No, not really. <laughs> I, I, I didn't quite take to it. I never quite did. Um, yeah. I, I liked it. I mean, there's a limit to how unfunny anything with Simon Pegg is ever going to be. Simon Pegg, Julian Rian, Darren Boyd, Sally Phillips. That extraordinary I mean, that's, mm. And uh, Peter Serafinovich is in one of them. That, a particularly good one, I have to say. Mm. But um, and I, also I, I think must revisit it. I so think. I guess there's an element of it is very his shows seem very much related to his comic sensibilities and the moment other people start saying how about this how about this yeah, yeah. Of, yeah we could do that oh there's sort of there's a real thing of you you know you, you throw 15 thing but he's got um i mean he'll 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 say it himself that the even even directing on the set with line deliveries and stuff he can hear whether it's quote unquote out of tune where no one else can hear whether it uh, mm-hmm. no that sounds exactly like the last three takes to us and he but he's got a, a specific ear for what he and that and that's true all the way up. That's true for big, huge set pieces. Mm. And yeah, he come and he does come from a place of starting with the set piece, which is good for as a script editor. It's an absolute joy because I get to do the the he comes up with huge, big, funny stuff, and I just kind of get to point for character moments and point for plot consistency and things that we can really earn the moments that we come to and all the rest of it. The 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 writers I'm no use to at all are the ones who can't come up with set pieces but are pretty good on story and character. Because if you're already there, you don't need me. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing something out of work, but it doesn't sound like you're that. No, no, I'm really sorry. I'm completely available. And there is... <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. Um, through Ellard on Twitter, of course. Oh, yeah, Twitter, at Ellardent. Ellardent. Yeah, or Ellardent, depending on how you choose to... Ellardent. Yeah. It's supposed, okay. it's supposed to be ardent, but with me in it. Okay. Which somebody else came up with. A red dwarf fan came up with it years ago as a as a as a is it an adjective? I was never any good with that language thing. There's another admission that will get me no further. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the uh, the adjective el ardent uh, to be uh, ardent about a particularly fanish geeky thing or whatever. But most (laughs) people think it's some sort of reference to uh, either hitchhikers or a type of toothpaste. 
Oh, um, I just thought there was uh, some people put like Sandbank TV. No, I thought entertainment. Entertainment. Oh, that would. Oh, I see. If I'd have done that deliberately, I'd have capitalised the e, wouldn't it? So. Very good. Oh. Yeah. Andrewellard.com. Go to Andrewellard.com. Yeah. Oh, I'm done. I'm done with the plug. That's now. fine. Yeah. Move What's that? Yeah. I mean, uh, where where are we with the next series of uh, Red Dwarf? With Red Dwarf, they're in the edit at the moment. Uh, they're scrambling to do various green screeny things with models. Doug's trying to do uh, model photography this time. Trying to get away from the the CGI that that caused ire in previous series. It is, I have to say, I've, I've enjoyed this series way more now, and part of that is to do with the fact that I was script editing, editing this series rather than being on the floor being associate producer this time, another uh, brilliant chap's taken that job on, but it means that I just get to do script notes, script notes, script notes, script notes, script notes, and then turn up on a Friday night and watch them perform it for me, mm. and apparently to other people, but whatever. I have to say, Doug's changed as a writer for me anyway maybe nobody else is going to see this the the Doug Nader that wrote series seven and eight I don't know how geeky you are about about the show but who wrote seven and eight if those those series always felt like they were slightly on the back foot that he'd, he'd become a, a a newly solo writer for the first time and worked with Rob Grant for his entire career um and trying things like getting other writers in and they're not really liking how that worked because again uh, not unlike Graham, a very specific ear for what works and what doesn't and what he likes and what he doesn't and what's funny and what isn't. Um, in the time since then, it, all sorts of things. He's, he's, he's got other kind of scripts that he's been developing and working on. The Red Dwarf movie took forever to not happen but kept nearly and that was hugely heartbreaking. But he's become so much more confident, comfortable, and so much more interesting that he's been writing, uh, he wrote and shot his own pilot and went out and did it just to do it on the quiet, just to do it without any hassle and um, and I think all of that kind of comes together to, he's he's sort of learnt how to be a solo writer in a way he maybe hadn't before Um, and what we've had, he wrote the whole whole series on his own of this series, yeah, absolutely, completely Um, and you know all he all he's got is the the input of the you know the input of the cast and the input of um, me script editing and whatever. But it's it's all his own uh, voice this time, and it's terrific. There's really strong. In fact, arguably there's stronger kind of character arc stuff. There's a real kind of what do the characters want thing in every single episode of this. That even in some of the old shows we we kind of didn't do. It was more what's that weird thing and let's investigate it. And you can kind of take the curiosity is enough to get you over that who wants what problem and actually this time he's really concerned about who wants what and what it will put the characters through and the change and the I'm I'm so pleased with this series I can't wait it's not going to be until September October that it goes right. out and okay. it's driving me nuts not being able to talk about it How in many detail but six great um and they're, they're 40 minutes, it's the same thing. It'll be a 40-minute slot for a 30-minute show uh, on day with one commercial break in the middle. Um, Has that affected the, the, the writing up to a commercial break? It's probably something something that I've never had to do because all, all my stuff's been pretty much PVC. I can imagine that's a, a friend and a foe. Is that, or have you not really bothered? You know what? I wouldn't say it was given a second thought. Yeah, um, okay. the, the truth is that they live... I think part of it is that they live once on Dave on the broadcast and then after that they live forever on DVD and on download and all the rest of it. Um, that said, we've got just if you structure a show properly, around halfway, things ought to change, alter, spin anyway. Uh, so I don't think we've got a, a commercial break that won't 
if not a cliffhanger, probably not a cliffhanger, but certainly a revelation or a turn or a twist or a. But yeah, it's never. It's yeah. it would. I. It I, happens I, naturally and organically, and you've not written up to it. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, that's uh, that's good. Yeah, I, I follow you on uh, Twitter, and you've been uh, certainly your enthusiasm for the show has has shone through all those tweets. Oh, I'm just looking for attention. There's <laughs> <laughs> lots of Red Dwarf fans tweeting about Red Dwarf and I want my share. Yeah, yeah fair enough. No, I think, I mean, that's, that's something we, we James and I, we teach uh, writing and things occasionally. Yeah, I'm painfully uh, aware. I feel <laughs> underqualified in this room. No, <laughs> not at all. No, no, we no, just no. try to make money out of it. That's the difference between us and you. Yeah. But I mean, what, one of the things that, I mean, the, the, the sort of classic um, thing for a, a writer to be is, uh, is sort of introvert and inward looking and, and, and observing the world uh, outside and yet um, one of the things you have to be when you're writing especially with comedy and you have to be pushing yourself out there so there's just a constant uh, need for all of the us introverts to shout from the rooftop we're not we're not as good at it as the actual extroverts are. So well, I think this is why Twitter's really good. I'm 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 really besotted with it as a as a networking because I I've never been any good at that telly thing of that going being invited to the right things, turning up to the right things, and behaving in a way where wearing the right clothes, wearing the, the right, right clothes. Oh, <laughs> flippers! <laughs> Don't go with flippers. <laughs> yeah, Huge <laughs> mistake. <laughs> never doing that again. <laughs> but where your behaviour is exactly right, and where you you have to be funny on queue because you need people to remember you but not to remember you for the wrong things and all that kind of stuff i've had more approaches more work more little bits of interest through twitter than through anything else and it's because i get to t- to massively edit my personality into something that looks professional from the outside mm, yeah um, i think i've found that too i mean not you <laughs> but, but me as well. Yeah. Although I would, I would like to point out, I almost started. I thought I'd, well, I'd start writing some kind of blog about sitcom in order to eventually go. Hey, well, I'll do a book about writing sitcom, and then I read James's blog, and <laughs> there's literally no point. Well, that's because he's had all the ideas, well, and he's had them all that, better and quicker. I, well, I had that. I just well, very well. upsetting. You, you write a book. I'd, I'd read your book. It'd be probably be much more organised than my book, which is a series of shambling. Oh, this thing happened to me the other day, which I, you know, I didn't. I don't know why I thought of it, but in fact, I'm interested in your view on this. Very, very specific thing. That's all right. Quick deviation. When you're sitting around in a read-through, and um, an actor, it's a new script, an actor stumbles on a line, uh, says, "Oh, sorry, everyone, sorry," and then they, they say it again, and they just can't get it. Mm. I, my general policy is just change it. Just say, sorry, my fault, I'll, I'll take a look at that. And then the next day, I mean, and they might say, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, I'll get it, I'll get it. But you're really helping them by basically just changing the line. I mean, unless it's a series pivotable, pivotable, pivotable yeah. moment, which has to be that exact phrasing, I would just, I'd just change it. I mean, did you get, did you, like, I, stumbles? I, and... I, I, I read it. I thought, actually, I thought, I thought it was kind of, I, I think it's basically half true. I think uh, when it's one of those lines that's just one of those lines, mm. and it, the laugh wouldn't be any bigger or smaller if you changed it. But if it's one of, the, my thing is, I, I think I see them stumble more on jokes that get laughs. Right. And, and in that kind of, I, you, I kind of, I kind of want to be belligerent. <laughs> no, no, look, it'll be, I'm not, look. It's the best possible version of that laugh right now. So no, it is well, frustrating that's, that's when, when, you, when you do think yeah. it is the best version, but yeah. there aren't that in, in well, the script. 
In a half-hour script, you've got yeah. hundred decent jokes in it. Absolutely, no, that's uh, true. Probably eighty of them are malleable, and there are twenty which are no. It really does have to be like that. Yeah. Oh, I think also it's good politics, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. there is a, just a common yeah. sense thing of you know, let's not have the actors hate the writers and vice versa. Let's pretend like we're all trying to make <laughs> the same thing together. Well, that's the thing that that as a, as a writer and performer, I've been painfully aware of when I've worked on shows of, of this kind of. Uh, there are writers and there are actors and you know the, the, the writers always blame the actors and the actors always hate the writers or whatever um, but I mean it, it is interesting how and especially having just come off the back of doing three weeks of, a, of, of performing the same material uh, something I haven't done for sort of 20 odd years or certainly something I haven't done since I've been working as a writer and the awareness of how moving one word in one sentence from the middle to the end, even if it doesn't actually make sense grammatically. Sorry, Aaron, um, but it it gets the laugh, and you kind of you, you, it's a thing as a writer that I'm always aware of that the line doesn't quite work, and 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 people say, well, if you're a stand-up, you know, you try that line three times, and if it doesn't work, then then yeah. just just lose it. But it, you know, sometimes sometimes there are ways of, of rewriting the line, and maybe just just Oh, I, I, I think the moment you, as a writer, the moment the moment you see somebody struggling so much with it, and you look and you go, well, look, if I had to get up and say it, and I couldn't get there three times, would I have rewritten it by now? Then yeah, go on, go on, rewrite yeah, it, yeah, for yeah. the sake. Yeah. But so, yeah, there's some, but, but sometimes I think you, you know, writers can. I, I have in not mentioning any names, been in what rooms of writers which have been rather dismissive of the acting talent and just mm-hmm. sort of and yeah. basically thinking. Well, they should sort it out and get it right, and then we're not going to change it. You think, well, you can do that, but why, why, why would you be, why would you do that if there's no, there's probably another version of that joke? In fact, there may even be a better joke. Um, well, that's the other thing. They're probably always they're always is, isn't isn't they? Yeah. Oh, I don't joke. want to admit it. Though, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Our brilliant yeah. uh, art. So, uh, oh, for goodness' sake. So anyway, that's just yeah. a weird thing which I just thought. Oh, I just bung it down the blog. But anyway, so how we got to that? Yeah, uh, you probably got something much more interesting to talk about. No, no, I mean, you know, we're talking about the, well, I suppose to some extent we're talking about, you know, kind of the, the kind of mechanics of, of, of writing. But I mean, just, just before we go back to that, though, I, I did want to uh, talk to you a little bit about your, your writing this uh, movie with uh, Peter Serafinovich. Peter and James, James Serafinovich, yeah. yeah. Um, this is the Brian Butterfield movie. Brian Butterfield is becoming a movie. Uh, <sighs> It's a great. I I I really hope we get this away because it's knockout. I'm so pleased with it. The the character Brian Butterfield, which I'm, I'm sure everybody knows from from Peter's sketch show, but if not, go go into YouTube and grab it because it's it's just good funny stuff. This this sort of sixty-ish middle-aged guy with the the hope, the aspiration of being an Alan Sugar figure, of being a grand businessman, and being such a failure and so useless and so out of touch and having a karaoke service with all service with almost 17 songs um <laughs> it's just so beautifully off oh, filter isn't it just, it's so it's just wrong peter did one on the radio the other week of um of the the butterfield data backup service <laughs> i will come to your offices 
and go to your computer and copy down by hand all of your files. No <laughs> pictures though, because I can't draw. <laughs> That's just brilliant, and it's just and the thing is that take is so clean. It's one of those gags, one of those characters that you you get straight away, and you can and you you can sit at home and come up with six riffs for, and not as a writer, just as somebody. And it, you know how sometimes people say, I I think I'm going to write a sitcom because it seems really easy. It seems like you know you just. And mostly what they mean is I've watched other sitcoms and by the fourth episode I know those characters so well I could write what they would do and predict their actions and it's kind of like, yeah, the genius in sitcom isn't creating what they do so much as coming up with that group of people and that yeah, set of yeah, situations yeah. in the first place. And that's the thing with Brian is that he's 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 so close to fully formed as a as a sitcom. You, he could do a sitcom, it would be. But but even so, I mean, it is it's it's a it is a, a leap. I mean, it's a it's a leap enough, isn't it, to go from say a sketch mm. like uh, Jennifer Saunders and Dawn French as the, the mother who's more uh, hip than, the, than her square daughter to Ab Fab retaining that at its mm. core. It's one thing for a, a sitcom where we've got characters who never learn and they don't go on any emotional journey. But now you're taking you're taking like someone who is potentially a sitcom character and building a movie around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, like I, I, I mean, I think there's yeah. there's an argument there that it's it's no different than doing kind of a Saturday Night Live movie, uh, taking those characters and jumping straight to movie rather than doing sitcom, doing yeah. the yeah. Blues Brothers or Coneheads or you know some, something like that. Um, but what's really what's been really good? There's there's two things. One is what the guys figured out, which was that um, he would work very well in some kind of investigative criminal world. Uh, and uh, although they had a they had a version where he was a he was a policeman, and it was kind of like. I liked him as an aspiring businessman too much to throw that away. And actually, the Butterfield Detective Agency and the idea that he's sort of an inventor—he's the kind of guy who goes would try and go on Dragon's Den and all these kind of things—seemed mm. smarter. So we kind of went back to first principles and this idea that there is a case that only he can solve and that is personal to him. And that's that's kind of where I've come in. Is I'm I'm obviously much more interested in a series of character goals and an arc for him to go through and changes and family relationships personal relationships so where peter and james uh really are interested in getting it funny 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 i'm trying to thread through a you know a good strong first act and a good midpoint and a good turn and a good nadir before the third act and all these kind of basic story principles well, which, which then in turn makes it more than a sum total of the past absolutely because you know it's it's possible you know it is possible to watch something which is just filled with jokes and to go oh that was good mm. but actually it's something where the jokes like matter more than something instance. say again like a panel show like a panel show yeah some quite often are just a sum total of jokes and you don't find yourself wanting to watch it again or um, but you know sometimes you do and that's why as we were saying before the great panel shows now create something they, you know you were saying the Harry Thompson trick of making it a class thing which is why Would I Lie to You it's a fantastic panel game yeah, yeah. it's Glee Mac versus David Mitchell absolutely and they're almost playing characters there is a sitcom component it's a sitcom yeah. component that's, yeah. that's the genius of it that's absolutely right which is just which which is just following through from have I got news yeah. uh, they think it's all over um, QI all do that basically. So, um, but but just that that is an interesting thing to to um, to, to, to come back to is is um, we all you know people say oh how, what, what's sitcom about and everybody always says it's about character sitcom is about character, um, but actually 
it, not necessarily the, be- the best ones. I mean, Seinfeld is probably one of my favourite sitcoms, and there's only one character, really, who's a proper sitcom character, which is George, and then there's actually three sort of people around him. I, I, well, I think that, I think that under... under because I've got a lot of friends who would argue that Elaine is who they are and that they feel represented by. So I think, but, but I don't quite yeah. know what Elaine wants. Yeah. That's the thing that's difficult. Yeah, yeah but I, I, isn't that the thing about Seinfeld? Is none of them quite know what they want. They just know they're not happy yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, if you take that to something like Friends, then yeah. you look at the Friends, which is Seinfeld with with pretty people basically, mm-hmm. uh, but they're all <laughs> hugging and learning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they do. Um, you know, that, 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 you, you, that that's built into it, and in a sense, I'm, a, I'm you know, I, I shouldn't love Seinfeld more than I love Friends, because because te- technically Friends is is way better written, but just Seinfeld makes me laugh more, and I'm happy with I'm happy with Kramer and and, and Jerry and, and Elaine. The, I, don't, I don't really mind. They, 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 there's an argument they, that the 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 format of Seinfeld is kind of the star, that the spiraling out of control thing, that this this domino effect that the stories have is what and it's kind of like writing farce. It's not farce itself, but it has the kind of same thing as farce where arguably the shape of the storytelling has a um, such a huge part to play in what the show is that you couldn't do it without it. It would be hard to do it would be hard to do a bottle Seinfeld, I think, where they're all in the flat at the same time and we don't let them leave and you could do a certain amount of kind of hassling on the phone, and but actually their interactions are. It's just the the I think uh, for me the stories are the, are the star mm. of that show, and I think they've got the great characters to do the stories. The story where I remember I remember jumping out of my seat the, the first time I saw the episode where they they pinch someone's limo uh, from the uh, from the airport, George and uh, and Jerry. Get someone, and it's at half time that you realise that the, that they have taken the limo of a guy who's about to go and speak at an anti-Semitic <laughs> rally, <laughs> and you just think, "Wow, what is this? What is this?" Um, and so they, the way they can just take the, the, those characters and the and the, and the plotting of it, they just take these very normal people. Actually, um, that's the beauty of you know, of the main three, you know, plus Kramer, but Kramer is sort of understandable, even though it's not normal. But, you know, it's fascinating. There's a there's an argument that it's kind of... You, you know those sitcoms that are one man against the world? In fact, that's what Larry David's then subsequently done with Curb, is that it really is one man against the world. There is a... Um, there is a kind of sitcom of that kind of format of sitcom, and I, there's an argument that Seinfeld is just one man against the world three times. Mm-hmm. That we're just doing three of those at once. Because, you know, the... Although stories occasionally intersect, it's mostly three separate plot strands going on, one for each of them, plus Kramer wandering in every couple of... And then you find clever places where they abut and where they influence each other and knock on, just by coincidence that somebody you've injured in one thing becomes relevant to the third-person story or... But if, uh, as a, a starting-out writer, say, uh, you know, I've got my character, and uh, but, uh, hey, what's the... Cat- so, so we've got this character, and it's kind of... Yes, it's a character who's got a, some sort of conflict going on, or and they want something and they can't have it, and that's that's sort of it. But but in a sense, 
that's that's sort of the easy bit, isn't it? But when we say it's about character, I'm just curious to know when you know. Oh, you I'm said easy. Bit. Now I feel here. bad when I'm just not coming up with good stuff. Because, <laughs> no, no, oh, no, that's no. the easy bit. But you know, uh, where where do you go next? Where, what do you do? How do you sort of or oh, James as well? You know, I mean, how, how do you road test your your it's characters? The stories. It's the stories. Yeah. It's 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 taking storylines and just thinking, does my character? How does my character respond to those situations? And there is, you know, there is an expression where you know you take your character and you chase them up a tree. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're being really picky, you would say give them a reason to go up the tree. Because hmm. um, the, 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 the a new writer's instinct is sometimes you take a character and then you throw things at them. Hmm. You make things happen to them. Um, and actually, what you want is to say, well, what do they want and how. And what's stopping them well, the from thing, getting it? The thing is also, they run up the tree where most people wouldn't. Most yeah. people would find some other smarter, sensible way out. And it's not right. stupidity, because people don't like people doing stuff for stupid comedy reason. Why are you up the tree? Well, it's funnier if I go up the tree. That's not an answer. No, no, yeah. But the idea that it's... There, like Basil Fawlty is the, the means of his own downfall, because if he could just turn the snobbery off, if he could just turn the basic contempt for other people off if he could just not be him for a bit yeah. he'd be far more contented and almost everything that spirals out of control wouldn't spiral out of control but he heads up the tree because for him that seems like the only possible option where most people would run down the street and ignore the tree completely yeah. that's a terribly extended no, no, but it's metaphor because i think you know you need what sort then, of tree is it? what sort of tree is it is infuriating when you find yourself shouting at television as i regularly do <laughs> where your characters are doing something for no good reason yeah. um and it's only because it's, it's well they're doing it because it's funny no you have to give them no choice to do it um well, and, you know, and that's not, and that, that, which is something I'm a management consultant, that is an opportunity. You need to, use, you know, you're comically shutting doors on them so that the only door that's left to them is the one that they have to go through. Right. Um, and then once they go through the door, they discover it wasn't as bad as they thought, or it's even worse for reasons they hadn't expected, or, you know, and then you... And I, th- I think some of this comes out of, there's a weird thing where the best comedies uh, or a lot of the best comedies uh, certainly in this country seem to come from a place of coming up with really good clever set pieces and then finding a way to join them it's what Graham does it's what Doug Naylor does conversely it's also where a lot of the worst comedies come from because people come up with set pieces and then find this kind of artificial way of sellotaping them together just enough that you, and you do end up looking at them going I don't get why you'd have gone in there I don't get why you'd have picked up the mm. hammer and why we're now doing this thing lots of unmotivated unmotivated behavior to get you to the thing the ideal of course is to you know find the middle ground is to to write from character but at the same time write towards set piece and to uh, to construct beautifully together and it's easy to say it but it's yeah. it's just as hard to it doesn't get any easier and i've just found this with a script which i'm co-writing with someone else it's it's the fourth episode of something which hasn't um, which may or may not happen but i'm trying to rewrite the first draft and just thinking this this isn't working. There are some funny bits in it. I like it. There's a good area here. And I basically had, I got halfway through the rewrite and I just stopped yesterday, got a big whiteboard and just stood in front of it with the character <laughs> names and just said, right, what do these characters want? We've got a really big incident halfway through the, the episode, which is exciting and extraordinary and probably hasn't been done in a sitcom before for, for reasons that might become clear in the future. But it doesn't sort of seem to matter to any of them. It just seems to be a backdrop for something. How can we make this a more significant event for them why is this event critical for them? And then what is the result of that? And I was just sort of, 
so I've you know I've taken a forty-five page script, effect not thrown it away, but just parked it, and then and just and, and I've just been rewriting storylines of the individual characters. I'll probably then turn that back into a whole new scene by scene outline, and then I will I will use the the first draft and my aborted rewrite of the first draft for dialogue, and I'll, I'll basically just start again because yeah. the characters are there. I know it can work. I've seen it work. It's a good show. I think it will work. But I'm halfway through the fourth one, just thinking, yeah. I don't know why any of these people are doing this. I know why they're in a confined space. I know why, but I don't know what they want. Yeah. And that's well, what you need. Yeah, yeah. Paul Abbott talks about who who likes to write about 16 drafts of a, of a script. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of rewriting, isn't it? I mean, there is an awful lot. And it lot does of... take that. And so when yeah. we did a read-through of the first yeah. episode of this thing, um, it was draft... Nine, I think, mm-hmm. and even yeah. then, you know, it wasn't wasn't perfect. I'm going to say I've, I've I've just finished script editing on Cardinal Burns sketch show for E4, which is going to be on next month. Plug, but I don't miss the plot stuff at all mm-hmm. in in script editing for sketches where you're you're. Although there are stories to be told, you worry so much less about those aspects, and it was it was quite it's quite nice to get a little relief from them. Well, we've got we've, in fact we have got one one pair of characters that have a running story through the series, and as I understand it, that story's been completely moved around because they wanted to put the best sketches out in a different order. And you know what? Nobody's going to even notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just 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 sort of. Leading on from that, I noticed on your um, CV that you you had a stint um, script editing uh, Doctors. No, 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 um, I wrote oh, an episode oh, you wrote of Doctors. An episode, oh, right. one. Okay, well, I, I, oh, right, well then, that, um, I, I was just sort of wondering if you thought it might be worth, if, if, if comedy writers could, could we've we talked a lot about plots mm. and, and uh, as well as characters, well, could comedy writers do you learn anything from watching oh, soaps? God, yeah, absolutely, well, or, or indeed writing them. Um, you know, writing a good half hour of drama without any jokes, uh, you still have to do all the things that you're, you, you know, an awful lot of them, in fact, there's an awful lot of, I think, gag writers who would benefit from trying to write a half hour without gags and trying to tell a story and... Because because we don't have that that internship that um, that you know the American writers room thing of where you come in in the first year as an absolute junior who makes the coffee but also hangs around and learns the basic ropes and storytelling whatever and you step up and you step up and you step up and you somewhere along the line you pick up all the story stuff and all the character stuff that people who are far more brilliant than you have done it who have done in the years before you. Uh, I, uh, it's very easy for, for UK sitcom to go straight to guys who write good gags and quite right too because you know we could use some good jokes and in fact if anything we've sort of got a dearth of sitcoms at the moment that don't always push for the funniest stuff but but the, the downside of that is I don't think they've, they've always had the grounding in storytelling in character and stuff and so the idea of cranking out a half hour where you don't get to coast on jokes where you actually have to do goals and needs and wants and transformations and all the rest of it, I think that's incredibly useful. It makes the jokes that much more satisfying. Much well, richer, it makes the whole show richer, always. Yeah. I, do, I mean, I, mean I, do, I only did The One Doctors, um, but I think, I, you know, there's, there was an entire strand in that that I did basically turn into sitcom. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fine, there is a fine and ever finer line between. As far as I can tell these days, whenever ever anyone says comedy drama, what they mean is it's an hour long. Yeah. 
It doesn't refer to the tone anymore. It doesn't refer to... Cause and you can't tell from the description of it whether it's going to be funny or not. No. Or dramatic or not. So there are plenty of good shows which probably aren't technically comedy drama. Like I, I've always really enjoyed Hustle, which is actually funny. I yeah. mean, it's, pro- mm. it's probably funny. I find it funnier than lots of half-hour comedies. But it wouldn't probably quite have... But it, it's not real. It's not. There's nothing realistic about it. It's just... It's real escapist and very good fun. I always said the same about The West Wing. That's a great sitcom. It's mm. a really good, flowing character sitcom. You could edit out uh, a lot of the heartbreaking stuff and just keep all the jokes. There's there's better timed and funnier gags in that than in a lot of things. Mm. And um, House, again. Oh, well, it's just yeah. so funny. Yeah. Blackadder in a hospital, his house. Uh, yes, I suppose. Well, sure, I'm just do, you sit, do, you, do you sit at home and then you have, you have your different. Do you, do you make these kind of. Oh, it's Jaws uh, in space. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, I try, you know what? I've, it's that funny thing where I, I. And it drives friends of mine absolutely mad because sometimes you get into arguing about what was wrong with a thing and they think that you're slagging it off. Because there's only two things. Did you did you like that movie or did you not like that movie? No, 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 no. I've got a whole other layer of analysis <laughs> that isn't about like or not like. It's why this worked and how that didn't and what the thing. And it's infuriating because sometimes people just want to come out. Did you enjoy that? Right. Well, let me break this down for yeah, you into several component parts. Yeah. I am able to watch a thing. I've always been able to, I don't know, even from kind of like university age, been able to watch a thing and just watch it as an audience. That's the other thing is that people do... I get into weird arguments on Twitter once in a while where people, yeah, well, I wasn't watching it with a little black notebook taking it apart. Like, well, neither was I. I sat and watched and enjoyed the film, but then I came out and I went, why doesn't that, why didn't that third act quite mean as much to me as it should have done? And then you look at it and work backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's essentially what I do with script notes for, every, for, for people is it's like watching the episode go out before you've had chance to yeah. make it, which gives you... And so I write you the review that says, well, the third act, you end up not caring about the characters at the moment where you should care about them most or whatever. It makes us not much fun to be around, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, no, I mean... My wife, says, not yeah, good my wife says something funny, I say, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Why can't you just <laughs> laugh at it then? Why do you have to just say, that's funny? I'm sorry. sorry yeah, no, that. it is. I, I identify with that because you can... I, I watch... I watch things again with my wife sometimes, and she enjoys them, and I enjoy them. And I just say, yeah, that kind of doesn't doesn't really hang together. It's enjoyable. I'm like that with New Girl, actually. At the moment, right. can take it or leave it. Really, I, I I enjoy the lines, I enjoy the tone, but ultimately, I feel like it's a bit of a conjuring trick, um, and I sort of I don't really buy it, and I sort of don't mind, but you know, I think we're taping it, and I think I watch it if it's on, but it's not. It's not. It's, it's not a so Which no, your wife is filing for divorce. <laughs> no, she she enjoys it, and I think she she accepts that it's it's not it's not exactly friends. It's not perfect. And like that, you know, for example, the Big Bang Theory, where you think, yeah, this is funny, joke for joke, it kind of works. But at the end of the day, I, I think this is less than the sum total of the parts. I don't. I did. I said on this on Twitter the other day. Do you not think that the Big Bang Theory does an awful lot of episodes where it doesn't have a third act? No, oh, yeah, no, it it's, does. It just ends. Yeah, it's where they where they just as everything's coming together for something really interesting, they kind of go, oh, well, we've run out of time. So it really enjoys setting stuff up yeah. and has no interest in paying it off a lot. Although of time. What, what I take from that though is a writer. Sometimes I think writers get too obsessed with resolving stories and plots and tying things up. And I was, I was in a writers' room once where. There was a whole post. There was a, you know, I think there'd been a fire or something, and um, in the story, and then there was a whole sort of talk about insurance afterwards and stuff. 
uh, I was sort of sitting there just going, the, sh the show ends on page 36, surely, not on page... And you're, you're going to do four more pages. This, yeah. is, this is crazy to me. The audience don't care. They know that upstairs will be will be wallpapered by next week. Oh, absolutely. It's, the, it's fine. The sitcom reset button is... It's very powerful. Yeah, people will absolutely... You can change an awful lot before you can before people will go, well, this will be completely different when we come back. This will be trans... No, 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 no. You've no. created an expectation that it's the same show every week. And... But the flip, but that's coders. That's yeah, that's yeah. tidy up. That's yeah, yeah. that's the bit after the ending. You know, that's uh, that's. Uh, funny enough, I watched Lethal Weapon two the other night. It's and a good movie. It's a great movie. But and they but they finish it with the guys on the boat injured, having just shot everybody they weren't allowed to shoot because of diplomatic immunity for the last two hours. I don't care how they untangle the logistics to get Riggs and Myrtle back on the job for the next movie. Yeah. I just care that they killed all the bad guys and we're finished now. Everything's resolved. There's a, there's a whole load of paperwork still yeah. to be done at the end of that movie. That's right. They're going to be in a Which lot they of didn't trouble. cover in Lethal, Lethal no. Weapon 3. It's not <laughs> the paperwork from Lethal Weapon 2. No, absolutely. Although there is a sequel opportunity that I think yeah. people are missing. That's right. Lethal Weapon 7. <laughs> the, the insurance claims. <laughs> Well, I think we we have um, well between us, I think hopefully we have constructed the next hit sitcom. I've been Somehow. absolutely uh, <laughs> yes. we broadcast it in code, haven't we? Yeah, but, uh, uh, very enjoyable. Thanks very much for coming in today, Andrew, Ooh, and, pleasure, uh, James, and Aaron as ever. Um, this was what are you laughing at? Um, I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back again soon.